knew my sermon was somewhere. Hopefully it's a little bit in here and here too. It's ultimately where they need to be coming from. I forgot to say, those of you joining online, welcome. Glad that you are here with us in spirit and in truth. So glad you are able to worship with us. So we continue on in this series in the uh, letter of uh, John, or 1 John, which uh, was written by the uh, author of the Gospel of John, or at minimum have a lot of overlapping language and uh, very much the same language and very much the same theology. And if you read through 1 John, uh, which I recommend you do, it's about five chapters, if you read through it, it, it sounds like he's repeating himself. He says the same thing again and again and again and again and again. And you think, is there no, like, are we going anywhere with this? Or are we just doing the same thing again, 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 again? Well, think about this. In life, most of the things we learn, we have to do again and again and again and again. Do you want your doctor that's going to perform an operation on you uh, to be doing it for the second time or the 20,000th time? I think I'll take the 20,000th time. If you get on a plane today, would you like uh, the pilot to have uh, flown three times or, you know, 10,000 hours of times? I'll take the 10,000 hours of times. Most things in life that require us to learn and know something requires repetitive action. It requires us to do it again and again. Those of us, who parent, of us who are parents, we know that you have to say things over and over and over. Probably about 10,000 times in order for something to really stick. Or take somebody who is learning how to do something really simple like swing a baseball bat. Um, we're in the middle of baseball season. I watch 10 hours of baseball a week uh, because my kids are in about that much baseball. But even swinging a baseball bat requires all kinds of repetition. So if we're going to open our hearts up to uh, what the Bible has to say, we may have to be those people who need to do it again and again and again and again. We may be those people who need to hear it again and again and again and again. Okay, so... As we read through 1 John, we will hear some of the same themes coming up every single week. Uh, it is, of course, springtime, and uh, for me, uh, springtime means that I have to like, get my water hose out and start doing things in my yard. And we have this tractor sprinkler that I have to set up, and it goes to the yard, and I have to make sure it doesn't you know, go out in the street and all kinds of things like that. And, uh, but the thing about uh, um, um, a water hose is that uh, if you really are going to use it properly, then uh, you have at least a couple of valves that you have to control. Uh, the first valve is the faucet valve. So you hook the hose up and there's a valve there. And usually it's like a little knob that you turn. Uh, but then, of course, you have the hose and then you have something on uh, the other side. And the other day I was... Uh, kind of get in my yard, you know, I had one of those little gun, little spray nozzle guns. Uh, there's a valve on that end as well. So in order for the water to flow through, you have to have the valve at the faucet open as well as the valve at, at the nozzle end open. If one or both of those are turned off, then you get nothing coming out of the hose. So I want us to think about 
God's love and love in general um, with this metaphor of a water hose. Number one is the valve of the faucet. This represents God's love to us. God's love is there. God's love is available. There's plenty of supply. It's there in full abundance. But that doesn't mean it's getting inside because sometimes the valve is turned off. The, the way through which God's love gets into the human heart has to be open. John Wesley called this a means of grace. Ways that the grace of God gets into our hearts and gets into our lives. Opens us up to God's love. Where does love come from? Where does love come from? First John rightly tells us that God is the source of all love. Love didn't just happen because a bunch of people were standing around one day and said, you know what? We should create a society where people love each other. Yeah, that's a good idea. We didn't conjure up love in among ourselves. Love came first from God. And we'll see a little later on in this series that the very definition, one of the essential core parts of God's actual character is love. Love isn't just something that God does here and there. Love is a part of God's essence. It's actually a part of who God is. So that's where our definition of love comes from. God is the source. Verse 16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. So if you were to write on a piece of paper, this is my definition of love, what would you write? Well, we might write a lot, of, a lot of things. You know, love is when we care for somebody or we pay attention to them or what that might be. We nurture them, protect them. But the specific beginning definition of love begins right here on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as followers of christ that is the beginning and the highest definition of love we love by this that he laid down his life for us the world we live in uh, we we have a lot of generic forms of love out there in the world the world thinks of love in kind of a lot of wide-sweeping, generic ways. But this is a very specific way to understand what love is. It's the highest form of love. This valve of God's love gets opened into our lives when we experience love from somebody else. Almost always, God's love first comes to us through another person. That's the way God designed us as human beings. We were made to be loved. To be loved is an absolute, unconditional, essential part of what it means to be a human being. I love in the Gospel of John how the writer refers to himself he doesn't say uh, himself by his own name. He says himself by referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. 
What if you started signing your checks that way or whatever you sign these days? You know, you're, you're at the store and you put the credit card in and they want you to sign that little thing. Just write, the disciple whom Jesus loves. You could like abbreviate it or something. Not that those people who read that even care, but you could do it for yourself. What if we understood ourselves as disciples whom Jesus loves? What if that was the number one way of defining who am I? How many problems in the world go back to this root condition of not experiencing love? We can take this all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. God's given them every single thing that they need. He's provided for all their needs. He's given them some instructions. And everything is good and harmonious. And yet this serpent comes into that garden and starts whispering, Hey, did God say not to eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Eve says, well, God says that we can't eat of that one or we'll die. And the serpent says, you won't die. You will be like God. And in that moment, Eve and then Adam decided that maybe this God doesn't really love me enough. Maybe this God is holding back on me and holding out on me. I could be like him. And so, of course, we know the story they take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And therefore, they have that knowledge inside themselves. And they then begin to live in a world that is dominated by sin, by misguided love. So sin doesn't really come into the picture until Genesis chapter 3, though love has been there all along. When we are not fully believing and rooted and grounded in God's love for us or that we are lovable people, it manifests itself in so many other ways. Not only, of course, in the Garden of Eden, but look around the world today. Children who do not grow up in loving environments have a multitude of issues and challenges and problems. There's, there's a vacuum, there's a void, and the tendency is to try to fill that vacuum and that void with whatever we can put in there. Most people in the world are looking for love in all the wrong places. Many are looking for love by performing and by um, making sure the world likes them or making sure that they achieve or accomplish or maybe making sure that they make enough money or making sure they're always busy doing things makes them feel like they're worthy, they're valuable, they're loved instead of just simply receiving God's love because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Love. Love is, is the deepest human need. It's, it's really what drives us, or lack of it, is what drives people. It drives people to addiction. It drives people to workaholism. It drives people to self-indulgent living. It drives people to use other people in relationships for themselves. All of this, all of the world's problems, 
come from this lack of understanding of God's love for us. So therefore, as the church, it is absolutely necessary that we cultivate and develop a solid, a robust, and a specific theology of love. Especially in a world where love just kind of means whatever goes. Whatever makes you feel good, we'll call that love. This need to be loved is why we gather in worship. To remember that God, in the form of His own Son, Jesus Christ, came and gave His life for us on a cross. Now, if you take a child who's just been born into this world, then, you know, love for that child looks like feeding them, protecting them, paying attention to them, changing the diapers, right? Making sure they have a place to sleep. Those are all ways of pouring out love into a little human being. I love little human beings. They're, they're some of my favorite people in the world. Um, I have four kids. My youngest is now nine, so I'm already missing that little kid uh, phase of parenthood. And in our church, we have a Parents' Day Out program, and uh, sometimes our Parents' Day Out program uh, workers will push the kids uh, down the hall in the little buggy. So they kind of strap them in, and the kids are in the buggy, and they're about one, one to two years old, and there's something mesmerizing about that. So those kids just sit there. And they, they're, they're going down the hall like, wow, the world is a great place. Look at the halls. And I love, you know, when I see them coming down the hall, I make, I make a, a point to go and, and talk to them. It's like the highlight of my afternoon. And they just stare at me like, who is this guy? I think I saw him yesterday. He's so weird. It's the best. It's the best. Loving a child looks something uh, it, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But as that child grows up, loving gets um, more complicated. Loving gets more specific. Love grows with knowledge. And so, you know, to way, the way you love a one-year-old is, is different than a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old. Somewhere in there, that unconditional positive regard matures into an understanding of love that, that this love that's been given to me uh, is ultimately from God. And that ultimately that love comes from God and has been put on display because God was willing to give up his own life for me. That, that's a more mature understanding of love. It's not just a, a one-year-old understanding. It's a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 70-year-old understanding of God's love. And so it's absolutely essential that we keep that, that faucet valve on as open as it can be. When we come here to worship, that's one of the primary things we do. No matter how good or bad or hard your life is right now, we come here to unconditionally remember God's love for us. No matter what you're going through and what you're struggling, this is where we remember the things that are always true. And one of the things that's always true, no matter what's happening in the world, is that God is love and that God loves you. So basically, our worship is one of the ways that we keep the faucet on. When we praise Him, when we worship Him, we're opening that door. We're making 
We're making a way for God to get inside of us. Keeping the faucet on. The second part of the economy of love is not simply knowing that God loves us, but as 1 John says, that we love one another. Love is like a river in this way, you know? It, it must flow into us, but love must also flow out of us. Otherwise, it becomes stagnant. If love is not leaving us, then love can't really come into us. It's just a part of the economy of love. It's just the way it is. We prayed it today in the Lord's Prayer. We said, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. If I am not willing to forgive other people, then I shut off the flow of love. Not just to other people, but I shut it off to me as well. Because an unforgiving heart is a hardened heart. An unforgiving heart is a heart that, that not only stops us from giving love, it stops us from receiving love. It is a package deal, my friends. You can't receive God's love if you're not willing to love your neighbor. Just the way it is. It's only when we love others, sometimes in a very difficult circumstances, that we can remain open to God's love for us. This is where we get this word abide. You see it throughout this, this letter of John. The word abide, it means in our language to hang out in. If you abide somewhere, that's where you hang. That's where you live. That's where you remain. It's, it's where you stick and it's where you stay. Verse 17 says, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? How does God's love stay in you if you're not willing to love others? It doesn't. It's not enough just to go around saying, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. I mean, it might be okay for those one-year-olds to know that, right? But we're not one, are we? We're called to grow up in love. And as you grow and mature in love, by nature, you will begin to give more than you even receive or more than you think you're receiving. Loving one another. Do we... Are we just called to love each other? Or do we have to love like the world outside of us as well? It's a good question, isn't it? I think that God calls us to love one another in the body of Christ. And that as we do that, that love overflows to those around us, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work in our families. And so the ultimate answer to that question is we're called to love all people, but the gospel focus is often on, first of all, look at your neighbors, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Make sure that those brothers and sisters in Christ are taken care of. Love one another. You see this pattern in the early church. Love one another and then allow that love to overflow. Just like a marriage. A good, healthy marriage is where a husband and a wife, they love one another because of God's love for them, but that always overflows. It may overflow to their neighbors or it may overflow to their own children someday. But that's what love does. There's always a surplus of love in God's economy. There's never a shortage The only shortage is the shortage that that we cut off. The world needs love more than anything. The world thinks that it needs a lot of things, and that'll manifest its way in a lot of ways, but, but we know and we need to be reminded what the world really needs is love. Not just generic love. Jesus love, gospel love, the form of love that has come into this world. So I want to invite you to consider, my friends, these two valves in your life. Consider the valve that opens up God's unconditional love for you. Are you doing the things in your life to keep that open Are you worshiping Him? Are you seeking His face? Are you praying? Are you digging into the Holy Scriptures? Are you paying attention to what the body of Christ is speaking into your life? Are you practicing gratitude every day? Those are all good ways to keep that valve wide open. Second of all, are you seeking to obey the command of God? By loving others as well. Because God not only wants to love us, He wants to express His love to the world through us. Consider what that looks like in your lives. Consider what that looks like in your marriage or your family. Consider what that looks like in your work or your neighborhood. Consider what that looks like in your social circles. What does it really look like to love someone? Let us... Love by laying down our lives for one another. I think one of the main ways that we can love one another is by giving them time. It's probably our most precious commodity. When I look at my own life, I don't think, man, what I need the most is money. When I look at my own life, I think what I need the most is time. It's the most valuable thing I could give. Now, money might be valuable too. But I think for a lot of people, time is a very precious resource. Consider how God might be leading you to spend the time He has entrusted under you in loving other people. Perhaps it's a ministry of inconvenience. And perhaps that's how God moves in the greatest ways.